Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Golden I'm Mike Golick. I'm Jessica Smetana. Welcome to another edition of Golick and Smetty. I'm Mike Golick Sr. She is Jessica Smetana. Closer and closer to the Super Bowl we get. We have our teams, Jess, in Kansas City and San Francisco. First and foremost, it's so different on Championship Sunday because there's just two games. They're back-to-back. Much different than like I do. I watch the Red Channel, uh, Red Zone Channel and Scott Hansen. So you're going from game to game to game. This is just two games. You sit through commercials as well and just sit in front of the TV for basically eight hours watching two games. So A, is that what you did? And B, what is the snack and food situation? Mm, Great questions. Yes. So Championship Sunday is my personal Super Bowl because I think it's just a it's a better football day than the Super Bowl. Like you said, there's two games. And I just think there's something really exciting about like finding out who gets to play in the Super Bowl. I, as cheesy as that sounds, it's right. like, wow, this is these are two crazy important games. Because if you lose at championship weekend, like you that's you don't get anything for that. And it's so, never like, it's not remembered. Right. No one cares. <laughs> and you get a bad draft pick probably. Like the stakes are really high to win on Championship Sunday and at least play in the Super Bowl. Obviously winning the Super Bowl is a whole other thing. So I love Championship Sunday. And so we had a little Championship Sunday party. Um, My boyfriend Lee cooked. I'm trying to remember what he made, but I'm totally blanking. But I made a fruit tart. You would have hated it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, But everything was delicious. We had tons of cheese and crackers. I'm like the I love dips and spreads. So as long as I have tons of chips and dips and crackers and cheese, I am happy. And so that's what we did. It was great. Oh, I just remembered he made like a seafood boil. So we had a ton of shrimp and like mussels and clams. And it was delicious. I made cornbread. Excellent day. Great company. Lucy from the Levitard show came over. Some of my family was in town. Um, yeah, got a little Jameson Williams backdoor cover action. So any I, the day went great for, for us and for me personally, especially not having any dog in the race. Right, I, I didn't right. really care who won these games. And I'm pretty happy with the outcomes. I'm excited for the Super Bowl. But man, great. Championship Sunday, in my opinion, two two good games. So I'm wondering, when you say you have people over, is it a situation where they are as into the football as you are so you can concentrate on watching the games? Because you know how when you're in a group of people, some people don't give a damn about the games. Luckily, Mike, everyone in my family and everyone in my circle – We are big football fans. And that's another reason why the Super Bowl, to me, is a little overrated because most Super Bowl parties, you are not going to be able to fully experience the game because there is so, and and that's why they're fun. Don't get me wrong. Like there's pros and cons to it, but 
Super Bowl parties, generally big parties, people talking, people trying to watch the commercials, people trying to watch the game, and there's tons of crosstalk, and and you miss something. You you miss part of it no matter what. So no, I, I mean, we kept it small, and it was just, you know, people that really wanted to watch the games. But I will say, Mike, a lot of people left at halftime of the NFC Championship game because it was getting oh, kind of late, and right. it was a, the Lions had a big lead. And those people missed out on the third and fourth quarter being about as crazy as it could have been for 49ers fans. Yeah, uh, I had over uh, my daughter, Sydney, and her husband, Ben, and they're my granddaughter, Alex, who's about two months old, so she wasn't really into the game. And of course, I have three dogs and they have two, so five dogs running around easily into the game. My wife loves football. Sydney obviously was raised on football. And her husband, Ben, Ben Broniker, played for the Bears for five years. So he obviously is is looking uh, at the games and watching the games as kind of a critical analyst eye as well. So my wife made a wonderful taco salad dip. Ben cooked up some chicken, some steak. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a very very nice day uh, for a couple of games. The first game, let's go in chronological order. The first game, while everybody said Lamar and Mahomes, you know, two MVP quarterbacks, first time two MVP quarterbacks are playing that are under the age of thirty, blah 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 blah. This was a defensive game. Baltimore had the best defense coming into this game. Kansas City's defense played lights out in this game. Understand the Chiefs' offense got shut out in the second half. It was 17-7 at halftime, favor Kansas City, and Baltimore got a field goal in the second half, and that was it, three to nothing in the second half. So we can talk all the Mahomes, which we will, and Lamar, how this would work against his legacy, and I have certainly thoughts about that. But Jesse, if you don't start off with the headline being the defense of these two teams, and I know for a lot of people, they don't like to do that because they don't like defensive games. You know, they want to see the high scoring and the big time quarterbacks make big time plays. But these two defenses, especially Kansas City, was dynamite. My question for you is how much do you put on the Chiefs defense versus how much do you think that the Ravens game plan really played into the Chiefs favor and didn't even give the Ravens a real shot to win the game the way that they've been playing the whole season? Absolutely amazed. So where the Chiefs defense, I thought, really stood on their heads is their secondary was questionable at times. Their coverage of the wide receivers for Baltimore was fantastic because Lamar had to hold on to the ball for a long time. And then when he decided to run, he kind of decided that too late. It was a little more difficult to do. He also got sacked four times from holding on to the ball. But that was a product of the DBs and linebackers covering extremely well down the field. So there's a couple of things as far as, you know, before we get to the winning team with Baltimore, you had veteran players on defense making dumb plays, dumb penalties. Patrick Queen, Roquan Smith. Uh, Pierce the D lineman hitting Mahomes in the face. I'm not going to put that one in the dumb category. He's just trying to throw an arm out to knock him down. And ended up hitting him in the face. Kyle Van Noy, this guy's been in the league forever, headbutting uh, Travis Kelsey and getting 15 yards. I mean, ridiculously dumb. Uh, and then re- even the rookie, Zay Flowers, after he makes a nice catch down the field, spinning the ball on the opponent, then doing that crab over the top of him. Now, do I think you should be able to? you know, point or taunt at other players. Sure. What do I care? 
I mean, these are professional athletes. So what if they do that? I mean, sometimes we're too worried about the message that we're sending, you know, in sportsmanship. Right. As they're like tackling each other. Exactly. Trying to destroy one another. Who cares if they do that? But it's a rule. So you got to follow the rule. So for those that are saying, oh, my God, look at all the jawing Travis Kelsey did. He never got a taunting penalty because he was jawing with somebody who was jawing back. What Zay Flowers did was dumb. It was a rookie mistake and dumb. Also, when he caught that ball and tried to reach over the goal line, you don't do it. Unless it's fourth down or you're right in the goal line, you don't do it. Live to fight another play. So mistakes there. Mistakes on the defense with those penalties as well. But I'll tell you, Jess, the game plan that Todd Munkin had, I don't understand it. This is a team that was down, what, 17-10. So they're down 10 points in this game. Where This is the number one rushing offense in the NFL. Gus Edwards ran it three times. Justice Hill ran it three times. How the hell does that happen? How are you not pounding the run? And I know San Francisco start, stopped it early on, but so what? One-yard gain, two-yard gain, six-yard gain, one-yard gain, two-yard gain. Then it's a 15-yard gain. Then you break one. Then you get to your 182 yards rushing. They gave up on that. I think one of the reasons, Jess, is – They freaked out a little bit when Kansas City's first two drives were long, ball-controlling drives that scored touchdowns. And maybe they got in their mind, oh, God, we're going to have to pass our way back into it. And I couldn't disagree more. How how and why they did that, I don't know. I'm not a monster stat guy, but I thought this was relevant. During the season when Baltimore was within 14 points of their opponent, on first and 10, they ran the ball 50% of the time. So they were still running the ball half the time. In this game, when they were down 14, you know, in this game or 10, 14, right in that area there, on 26 times they were gone first and 10, they ran it just nine times. So I I don't know why they gave up on the run. So as much as we're going to focus on Lamar and his legacy of not winning in the playoffs and the big game, there's plenty of others, fingers to point at in this one, including Todd Munkin in that game plan. I think from my perspective, it wasn't like there was one thing that went wrong for Baltimore's offense. It was a little bit of everything. It was like you said, getting away from the run early, which if it was a a panic reaction, then that just shows a lack of experience in those games. You've got a long game ahead of you. And maybe it seemed like it was going to be a shootout early on, but the Ravens defense kept the minute. They shut out the Chiefs in the second half. So if you had stuck to your game plan and it worked, like, you end up winning that game. And of course the Zay Flowers fumble right at the end zone is a huge difference maker in this game because it was so tight. Um, And that's just, like you said, a terrible mistake, rookie mistake too, getting the the penalty, uh, just a a calamity of errors, but also not Lamar Jackson's best game. And that interception that he threw at the end, uh, towards the end of the game, when you need a field goal in that position, at least you need to at least get some points off of that drive I thought was a horrible mistake. So just pretty much everything that could have gone wrong for them uh, did. And so, yeah, you can credit, you know, the Chiefs defense. They obviously deserve it. Spag's probably one of the best defensive coordinators in the in. I don't know about NFL history, maybe in NFL history, he's, he's damn good. And the chiefs defense have, have won them games this year as their offense has struggled. Um, but I still think, you know, that Patrick Mahomes pass to Marquez Valdez Scant- Scantling to ice the game, to end it at, in the fourth quarter was I think just about the funniest way that th- this game could have ended after all the struggles that they've had and that their receivers have had. 
they had a that was a gutsy play call and wow that that was the game right there and then it was over well you know and as we're going to talk about that i'm going to make that our action-packed moment of the sunday again this is third down third and nine with over two minutes to go and now baltimore is out of timeouts but they would have had the two-minute warning as well and then a chance to go the other way had kansas city done what most teams do run it burn some clock and then punt the ball not andy reed so all of a sudden there's this 32 yard pass down the middle i can imagine the heart racing moment of baltimore fans and kansas city chief fans like oh my god i can't believe they're doing this and then the completion down the field first down and the game actually iced there. So again, our action-packed moment there brought to you by Bear Aspirin. Did you know that heart disease is the number one cause of death in the U.S. due to often invisible risk factors? Learn more and assess your heart risk factors at checkyourheartrisks.com. Brought to you by Bear Aspirin, the official sponsor of Fans Heart. So that was a big play there. It's interesting is all year, Jess, we've talked about Kansas City from week one when Mike and I did our show uh, down at the game and Travis Kelsey missed that game and they lost to Detroit by a point where like and then Travis you know could probably playing nicked all year they didn't have another wide receiver who they were counting on until it became evident was going to be the rookie Rasheed Rice Pacheco was going to be your running back but we were like wait a minute this offense is missing something but sure enough for Andy Reid and the Chiefs, just when you think their offense doesn't have enough, they have one of their best defensive years ever, right? I mean, they have something else going in favor for them, and that's this defense led by Chris Jones up front. So uh, they 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 prove that even though this offense only put up 17 in this game, thanks to the Baltimore defense, it was still enough. And I picked Buffalo to beat Kansas City, and I picked Baltimore to beat Kansas City. You just, I mean, to pick against Pat Mahomes, because, again, this is the first time he was on the road in the playoffs outside of the Super Bowl. Do it at your own risk. Yeah, right. Exactly. It feels like a little bit uh, silly, which is why I haven't picked against him all season, by the way. I had the Chiefs in the Super Bowl because of Patrick Mahomes, even though, you know, like you said, the, the defense really has been the difference maker in this season in particular. So I'm curious now what your thoughts are on Lamar Jackson, because right. obviously, like we, we have tons of recency bias. He seems like he exercised the playoff demons last week. And now this week, it's like, oh, no, they're back. Um, but he had an MVP season and, you know, he is unequivocally a, a huge star in the in the league and one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So what do you what do you do with this performance by the Ravens and by Lamar Jackson? So this takes nothing away from the MVP because that's a regular season award. So for those that are saying he doesn't deserve it, you're wrong because that was the playoffs. Regular season, now, I, I hope Christian McCaffrey comes in second in this. I would love to see a non-quarterback win it, but we know that won't happen. So Lamar is going to win this thing. But there is the playoffs here, Jess. I mean, that's just the way it is. 20 or 37, that's 50-some percent, if my math is correct, completion percentage. One touchdown, a bad interception, even though – Listen, I agree with you, some of you Baltimore fans who are saying, where the hell are some of these calls? You know, pass interference. And it is a fact if those, those that are putting the tinfoil cap on, Sean Smith, the ref in this game, is has a huge percentage of road teams beating home teams in his games. 
And it happened again here. So there's a lot of people wondering why the NFL gave him this game because the NFL wants Kansas City, you know, to be in the Super Bowl. But Sean Smith, the ref, does have a propensity for him and his crew where the visiting team does win games. And there was some there was some pass interferences that were not called, including that interception. Or even Gene Steratore, who I work with for Westwood One in the Super Bowl, and I love working with him. When he said it looked like the contact didn't happen until after the interception, that was wrong. The contact was before the interception. And you saw the ref, Jess, he was reaching for his flag and yeah. then stopped and didn't do it. All that being said, to answer your question, it was still a one-score game at the end. And Lamar, I hate that wins and losses are put on quarterbacks. I hate that we judge quarterbacks by Super Bowl wins because it's offense, defense, special teams. Mm -hmm. But in one-score game like that, you're waiting for Lamar to come up with that big play to kind of say, been there, done that in the regular season. Now we got to see you do that in the postseason. Well, to go back to your point about the refs, there was a Chiefs touchdown that was called back due to offensive holding that I, I saw it's a questionable. lot of. Yeah. It was a little yes. questionable. So there were calls yeah. on both sides, but you know, I've been saying for, for weeks now the NFL is rigged. They wanted they wanted yeah. the Bills Chiefs game last weekend. They want the Chiefs in the Super Bowl to get the Taylor Swift. I'm just kidding. But um if you are a conspiracy theorist, it is objectively like it's crazy that Taylor Swift is dating the tight end for the Chiefs, and now he will be playing in the Super Bowl for the second year in a row. But I, I don't think that that's why the Ravens lost. I think the Ravens lost because their game plan made no sense, and or, or at least maybe it did make sense and they got away from it because the Chiefs were, were that good on defense. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I agree that rating quarterbacks based off of Super Bowl wins when it's a sport that comes down in a lot of ways to roster construction, management, defense and special teams, all of these things that we, you know, talk about all season long. Uh, it's very silly and stupid, but it's got to be, I mean, it's just got to feel terrible to be a Ravens fan today and watch. This was a really, really good opportunity for them to make it to a Super Bowl. They were the one seed. Yeah. They got to play the Chiefs at home in the championship round, and they just didn't do anything in that game that made you think that, like, they were ready for it. And and that just sucks. So, you know, shout out to the Chiefs, but what a disappointment for the Ravens. And, I mean, for Baltimore, they during the regular season, they smoked the Dolphins. They smoked the 49ers. They smoked Jacksonville, who was leading the division uh, at that time. I mean, they, they just smoked some really good teams during the year and they just they had it right here for themselves everything you could have wanted this was their year to show it now we'll see if they lose their uh defensive coordinator and mike mcdonald it seems he and ben johnson the oc for detroit there's two more jobs that are they going to be the two got jobs one in seattle and one in washington that's what happens when you have a good team you end up losing your coordinator so before we get to the uh, to the next game talking about conspiracy theories after the win for the Kansas City Chiefs, a little bit after that, I got a text, Jess. Now, I've gone on CNN before and Fox before to talk about sports issues, you know, that kind of go outside the world of sports a little bit, right? But I've never really talked politics, but just if the sporting world fell into a, a different category of some things happening on or off the field. So I got a text, not from either one of those stations, but it was a political station. Mm -hmm. that wanted me to come on and discuss the 
there was a, and I won't mention who it was or who the host was, or, but they sent me the article of a person who was a presidential candidate and it didn't last long, had a conspiracy theory. Okay. Had a conspiracy theory <laughs> that the NFL, and wanted me to come on and talk about this, that the NFL wanted Kansas City to win because between uh, Travis Kelsey and his Pfizer commercials and and uh, uh, Taylor Swift and her backing of Joe Biden, that oh the NFL wanted that team to win so those two could have a bigger stage <laughs> to promote that. I, I'm like, sure. are you kidding me? So I politely responded back. I said, listen, I'm not talking politics at all. I said, that's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. I said, but I'm not coming on to start bringing up presidential candidates and talk politics. But that's where we are. Two oh. kids just can't be dating. There has to be some sort of, you know, horrible thing behind, peek behind that's the curtain so, on what this so, is. Okay, that is so bleak. Well, like it doesn't even, we don't even need to debunk it, but it is a fact that most NFL owners are actually Republican yes, yes. party donors. So, but well, we just don't even, it's not even worth debating no. it. But that's funny because like, I think the more obvious conspiracy is that Taylor Swift has done great things for ratings of Chiefs games yeah. and has a huge fan base that now is suddenly interested in the NFL. So if you wanted to make any conspiracy about it, it would be, wow, this is great for ratings, which is something that the NFL legitimately cares about and makes money from. The, the presidential election aspect of it, I can't even wrap my mind around how someone would come up with Isn't that. it unreal? Because I would agree with you on some <laughs> of that. Like, if you're going to make a playoff game, put it behind the paywall of Peacock, make it a Kansas City game, which they did, the Kansas City-Miami yeah. game, right? Because you're going to get Swifties to subscribe to Peacock to see Taylor Swift at the game. That mm -hmm. is just great marketing. That, there's not a conspiracy theory there. Yeah. That's just damn good marketing to get somebody to really buy your product is what that is. So kudos oh, to them God. for that. But yeah. Th kudos this, to you for turning that Oh, down I mean, I showed that to my wife and she's like, you're not doing that. I said, there is no way <laughs> I'm doing that. I, it just ridiculous so we live in hell all right so here oh, we man. are the kansas city chiefs uh make it to the the super bowl to take on san francisco that game what a what a game jess i mean detroit jumping out to a 24 7 halftime lead the people over the house watching the game with you left because it is a long day that's the second game and it's a 17 point lead at halftime i could see where some people may have cashed it in as bad as i was just saying it must feel to be a ravens fan the lions Oh my God. It is interesting that we're getting this like Chiefs Niners rematch four years after, right. you know, like the 2020 Super Bowl in Miami. And then like three weeks later, everything got shut down because of COVID. It is like a, I know like some people just like aren't interested in seeing that Super Bowl rematch, but I thought that that was a great game. Yeah. And the 49ers were all like the inverse of what happened yesterday. They were winning the whole game until the Chiefs came back and won. Obviously, everyone remembers that. But in this game, Mike, I'm curious what your thoughts are about. Obviously, everyone wants to talk about the, you know, decision to yeah. kick a field goal or not kick a field goal and to throw it and all of the mistakes that Detroit made in the second half. But um, I'm curious where you land on all of this and how much credit you can give to Shanahan for being able to come back in a game like this, which, you know, hasn't historically been his strong suit versus the lions for um you know they kicked out the whole first half and then 
had a, just an epic collapse in the second half. What, where do you where do you put the blame? I had called the Green Bay San Francisco game divisional round for Westwood one the week before, where Brock Purdy did not play well, and they still won that game. Right, defense played well, and that's uh, got the interception on an ill-advised throw by Jordan Love at the end of the game to win what was you know decently high-scoring game. But Brock Purdy did not play well, was off, even admitted he didn't play well in that game. Take the first half of this game, he's 7 of 15 for 93 yards and an interception. An interception, by the way, Jess, remember last year he got his arm hit and knocked out of the game against Philadelphia. He got his hand hit on that in- interception by Josh Pascal, the D lineman. And I thought, oh, my God, if he busts his hand, are we going to go through this again? But he yeah. didn't. So – Give them credit in the second half. Uh, the the D defense for San Francisco plays more four-man line than anybody in the league, but they realized they had to get some help up there with a the safety to help stop the run because I think Detroit had 140-some yards rushing in the first half alone, go with 280 yards. So they were running it on them, and San Francisco made some adjustments to try and stop that as well. And then the offense started clicking as well. I think Debo Samuel, him playing, was a big part of that. So – I give them credit for being down 17 and still not much like we talked about Baltimore not doing what they did best, which was run the ball. You look at San Francisco. You know, I, I, want, I want to make sure I, I get this thing right of the number. You look at they're down 17 points, Jess, and they still had the split of 33 runs and 31 passes. That's sticking to your game plan, something I don't know why Baltimore never really did. That's mm-hmm. what San Francisco did, and they proved to be overall the better team. And listen, Detroit made some made some mistakes. Fumble, dropped a couple of drop balls, one on a fourth down play that should have been a first down. So the IU catch, I and incredible. it could have been pass interference. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what the flag they picked it up, but that was to me like. If that happens to you, yeah. I'm sorry, but you're going to lose the game. You start <laughs> it's to not go, your day. <laughs> yeah, you start to go, wait a minute, what, what what's happening here? So give all the credit in the world to San Francisco, but it did turn out to be a one-score field goal game. And so you're going to look at a couple of individual plays with what we're going to do with Dan Campbell. Now, knowing before we even get into this, Detroit went for it on 34% of their fourth downs, way highest in the league. They converted 18 first downs during the year on three yards or less. And that's some of the situations they had. Everybody talks about the two fourth down situations, but there's two other plays, Jess, I would like to talk about as well. Because people will say, well, wait a minute. He went for those fourth downs in the third and fourth quarter. What about at the end of the half? Fourth and three, seven seconds ago on the San Francisco three-yard line. And he kicks a field goal. Why does he kick a field goal there and not in the third quarter? Because there's no real consequence there of if you miss it, San Francisco has bad field position and you could pin him back there. It's that's not happening because the half's going to be over and San Francisco gets the ball in the second half. So that that they did the right thing there by kicking the field goal. I could argue each way on the fourth down plays, right? And the fourth down play in the third quarter, seven minutes ago in the third, balls on the it would have been basically a forty-five yard field goal. I, I mm-hmm. think right in that area. And there. worth worth noting, like their kicker is good, but he's not like Justin Tucker. Like he's you know Michael Badgley had only kicked in four games that year and it only made one of three 40-plus yard field goals outside in the last, I think, year and a half. It's not automatic. It is not yeah. automatic. I, uh, I think that has been missing in a lot of yes. the context of this conversation. Seven minutes ago in a third, Jess, I would have kicked that field goal. The reason why there's aggressiveness and go for it on fourth down no matter what, but I think each thing has its own reasons. Reason why I would have kicked it, it was 24 to 10. 
That's a two-score game. You kick that field goal, make it, it's a three-score game. Big difference, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I would have really thought about kicking that. The other one in the fourth quarter, that would have been a 55-yard field goal. That's a little more risky, but you needed that to tie the game. You were down 27-24 at that point. But like I said, that's a longer field goal outdoors, a little more risky there. I'm going to tell you the play that nobody can talk me into that it was the right call. And that was when they ran the play at the goal line with a little over a minute to go. So they have all three of their timeouts and you need all three of your timeouts if you're going to score and kick the ball off deep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it was a little over a minute to go. You have four chances to pass the ball to get your touchdown. And what do they do is either second or third down. I think it was second down. They ran the ball. And I don't care. I heard people say, well, even Dan Campbell said, well, if we got that one block, he would have been in. Well, you know what? If I'd have hit three different numbers on the Powerball, we would not be doing this show together. Okay? I would have Aww. quit. So, uh, well, maybe because it's you. I, I would have not be doing the show with my son. I would have ended it with I wouldn't him. do it with you either yeah, if I wasn't There you go. Thank you. So I don't care about ifs, all right? Um, it didn't work, and the consequence was too great. Now you called the timeout. Now no matter what, whether you kick the field goal or scored a touchdown, which they did, you now have to onside kick it. The odds of recovering an onside kick just in the NFL are so low. You took away your chance to deep kick it, use your three timeouts, and still have over 30 seconds to go to get in field goal range. Not a touchdown, but to get in field goal range. So that's the play. Nobody can talk me into saying why they should have been four passes to get a touchdown. Or you did need a touchdown and a field goal. If it was fourth down, maybe kick the field goal and then try and get the touchdown. Yeah. Either way, that ball would not have been run. I know they've been successful running the ball from three yards in. I get it. I understand it. But every situation is different. To me, that was too big a chance to take. I, I think that's a great point. I, the, I, that was the third down handoff to Montgomery, I believe. So yeah. I think, and I think Greg Olson even mentioned it on the broadcast, which I agreed with. Like if that's a time management issue. And if anyone else did it, that would be, you know, we'd be harping on that. But because the fourth down stuff had already happened, that's been the discussion today. But I'm with you. I thought that was, that was, a, you know, once they scored the touchdown on the next play, like you said, offside, the chances of recovering the onside yeah. kick are almost impossible at that point. And even after the onside kick, the, the Detroit player tried to recover yeah. it before it went 10 yeah. yards. I was like, oh man, they didn't, they weren't even ready for this. Oh, it was just brutal. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, I think the both decisions from Campbell are firmly in like the range of like, you can debate it. And we know all season that he's tended to, you know, he, his tendencies are to go for it. And if he had, you know, changed it up, we're playing the result here. They lost the game. Right, I think right. if he had switched it up and still not made the field goal or whatever happened, I think he'd be getting Criticized. slammed for that yes. too, for changing, you know, the way he's coached all season. So I think a lot of the reaction has just been, we're playing the result. It didn't work this time. And like he said, after the game, Detroit may not be back in this game for a while. Cause like you said, they're losing their offensive coordinator. They're going to be losing a couple key players. Right. Probably it's going to be a long off season where they're going to have to think about all of this and getting back to the NFC championship game 
game, especially now that you've got Jordan Love in your division. Uh, probably Caleb Williams is going to be in your division now. Uh, the, the Vikings still aren't, they're not bad. Like they, right. they still might beat you. Like it's just going to be really hard for the lions. So, I mean, it was a brutal, brutal loss, but I'm with you. I think, I think we're just playing the result there with the Dan Campbell criticism and it just, you know, sometimes it just doesn't go your way. There were worse, worse decisions that were made in that game than the, than the fourth down. And, ones. and you know, the word that gets up brought up again, Jess is analytics. Analytics has become the F word of sport. <laughs> All analytics are is all it is is information. We had analytics when I was playing back in the Stone Ages. We were given game plans with all kind of analytics in it on down and distance and plays and formations. All that, you know what it is, Jess? It's information. We need to throw out the word analytics and say, here's the information on this play. If you go for it, if you don't go for it, ingest the information and then do what you think is right, whether you feel you want to go with the information or you want to go with your gut and go another way. I think, and it's your generation's fault that we're all hung up on this word <laughs> analytics now. It is. It's not my right? fault. It's not. Okay. Here's the thing that I think is so funny about all this. Cause when you talk about like, quote unquote, you know, trusting your gut yeah. or momentum or the feel of the game. What you're talking about is a coach making a decision based off of their emotions. And in every other aspect of sport, we talk about making decisions based off your emotions as a bad thing. Yes. But in this one particular instance, that's what Dan Campbell's supposed to do. I'm just confused. We need to remain consistent about when emotions are good for men to have and when they're bad for men to have, because I can't figure it There's out. There's no like right time, Jess. I, I find no problem you want to call it going with your emotion? I call it going with my gut. I've seen baseball managers, the ones that fight analytics at times as well, and I don't think they should be fought. Just use it as information. Don't mm -hmm. do it just because the analytics say do it. Just take that information in, use all like all the information, you have, and come up with a decision. So you could say, I know the analytics say this, but at this juncture of the game, how my pitchers pitching, how my hitters are hitting, whatever, how my offense is playing, how my defense is playing, every situation is different. Analytics may say this, but I feel strongly this way. Call it emotion. Call it a gut feeling. I don't have a problem with that because one thing it's not, it's all these decisions aren't in vacuums. One's in the third quarter when you're up, you know, 17 or yeah, 14. One's in the fourth quarter when you're down three. One's at the end of the half when you're, when you could go up, you know, uh, three scores. So they're all in different situations. That's why you can't just put it in a box and say analytics or information says this. So that's what we need to do. Mm -hmm. Well, are you excited about Chiefs 49ers oh, again? We're going to have plenty of time to talk about that next week. I know you're, we're, we're going to do our show. You're going to come on Gojo and Golik as well. Let me just ask you this one thing before we get to something that, that's okay. close to both of our hearts. Is the initial it, – it's amazing. I pick Buffalo. I pick Baltimore. So I picked both times against Kansas City. And Kansas City, by the way, was underdog in both these games. Kansas mm -hmm. City is an underdog early on. By a point or two, it keeps changing. But they're underdogs. And I understand the betting side of it, why they do it. Well, you know, God, make right. money where money's going to go. But were you surprised to see to see Kansas City underdog uh, right out of the gate? 
No, because the, like you said, they've been the underdog this entire postseason, and it hasn't made sense to me because they've continued to prove everyone wrong. Um, but I do think the 40, I, and like credit to us for having a 49ers conversation without debating Brock Purdy because it seems impossible oh, to do geez. that on any show these days. But um, the 49ers have a really good team, uh, probably a better team. But, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how you can look at the Chiefs' defensive performance in this playoffs and have them be an underdog against anyone. Um, but, no, it doesn't surprise me just because, the you know, this Chiefs team has has lost some stinkers this year. And uh, it's it's two points, right? It's not like they're, a, you know, 49ers are a heavy favorite or anything like that. But, it, no, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but I'm still picking the Chiefs. I haven't decided yet, just you. I may go against Kansas City three times in a row. I, 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 which would seem to be the dumbest thing in the world to do. Yet I, I may do it. I'm not sure yet. You know what? I need to look at the analytics a little more and then decide <laughs> okay. what I'm going to do. And while we're doing that and getting ready for the Super Bowl, our alma mater had a monster win in women's college basketball over UConn, which we love. Oh yeah. And we're going to talk to one of the stars of that team next. I'm so excited to have Maddie Westfeld on coming off of a huge win in Connecticut against UConn. Maddie, I can't wait to talk to you about the season, but I heard something on the broadcast the other night, which I have to ask you about first, which is that you like to go to a new coffee place in every every place that you go for away games. Um, and I love coffee. Mike is like an old, like, yes. curmudgeonly man who only drinks, like, ah. hot drip mm-hmm. coffee out of a <laughs> diner mug. So tell me what why you started doing this and what your coffee order is. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. It's really exciting. And, yeah, yesterday, or the other day, it was a very exciting one. We can get into that. But um, for me, it really started – with my family like we always it's more of like a a culture thing so we just get it up my whole family get together all the girls and we just we get up early and we have our coffee and then that's our time to like really settle in and get to know each other for me i i make my coffee every morning i do the same thing i'll do a drip uh coffee and on away trips i don't know i started my freshman year like i'll i love to experience like the city the new city that we're in so I'll get up the day of the game. I'll get up really early, and then I'll go to my. I'll go find a coffee shop on um, the Maps app and uh, get a latte or whatever it is, and then I'll just sit there for like an hour, however much time that we have before the game. But, um, but yeah, I do it every time. I'm I'm wondering. So yes, as Jess mentioned, I'm an '85 grad in Notre Dame, and she's a '16 grad. So I'm the old curmudgeon here. So I have this battle with my kids who all graduated from Notre Dame as well. They drink the, the, the cold, or the iced coffee right now. My contention, Maddie, is if you go into a, an establishment and order, say, I just say, I want a large coffee, it should be assumed that it's hot coffee. You should have to specify a cold brew, correct? Am I right or wrong? No, you're correct. You're correct. I believe okay. that. Well, All right, I like I, that. See, I like her a yeah, lot. Yeah, my teammates make fun of me because I always love hot drinks. And they're like, no, even even like the weather right now is like two degrees and they're ordering drinks. I'm like, how are your hands not just frost? <laughs> it's always cold. <laughs> even in South Bend, I would drink cold brew and walk to yeah. my class at DPAC in like negative 30 degree weather. Um, so the coffee in stores must have been really good because you had an insane game and and 
Like the atmosphere there was crazy. UConn was having their like alumni night. They were honoring a bunch of their championship teams. So what was it like playing there uh, in front of so many WNBA stars, in front of so many like UConn legends, and then coming away with a victory in, in such a hostile environment? It was insane. Um, I remember playing there my sophomore year, and it was it was just a whole different experience. It was a different team. We were so young then, and I think that um, atmosphere really uh, – I don't know, like caught me off guard. Um, it was a tough place to play. We ended up losing. Um, I think we lost by like 15 or whatever. But this time around, it was it was like we went and we all knew we were all bought in. We all knew that we were going to win. And it was cool because everybody before the game, we were really loose. We were dancing. We were, you know, it was just a different vibe. Like we, we were so confident in each other. And, yeah, it was incredible. And it's like every athlete's dream to play in an environment like that. Um, and so that part was really awesome. But for us, I think we were just really locked in. Like, it's it's hard to hear the, the crowd and, like, the overwhelming atmosphere when, you know, all, you, all you're thinking about is your team. Um, so, yeah, it was, like, 13, maybe the, our parents, too, uh, maybe, like, 30 people in the whole gym who were rooting for Notre Dame, but that's all we needed. So it was cool. It was really cool. 54 times the two schools have met. Uh, UConn leads a series 39-15, but Notre Dame has won two straight in four of the last seven meetings. I'm wondering, so when I was in school there, knowing the history of certain teams, like for me, it was that history with USC, Notre Dame and USC on, on the football field. For you, the history has been there with UConn. I, I've unfortunately, back at my time at ESPN, lost a number of bets to Re- Rebecca Lobo when they would beat our, our women, and, and I always hated that. So I love when we get the win. How much do you guys talk about and or know of this rivalry over the years? Yeah, well, my sister um, inherited it also. So I grew up, um, I was watching Skylar Diggins. I still have a, a very vivid memory in my mind of being just in middle school and just watching her on TV and just being so, um, just falling in love with Notre Dame women's basketball. Um, so I've known it since I was a kid. Uh, and like I said, watching my sister for four years, hate UConn and play UConn. And it was like, it it was a rivalry game for the the entire family. Everybody was locked in the whole day. (laughs) Um, and so, so yeah, it's been a very historical thing for me. Um, but yeah, so it, it's pretty easy for me to inherit that tradition Tradition when I got to college. Um, and I think just doing that same thing with my teammates, it was really, really cool for even like Hannah and the new people. Well, t- talk a little bit about Hannah because she also had a great game on Saturday night. And like I, I, you guys, I, the swing from the hard home loss against Syracuse on Thursday to Saturday was like night and day. And was there something that you feel like you took away from that Syracuse loss that helped you beat UConn or was there some sort of like message that Neil said to the team that helped you have such a, a big you know, not to use a cliche basketball term but a big rebound game following up that Syracuse yeah loss? absolutely I, it's always I was gonna say it's almost easier to play a, a game like that after after you don't play well or after like a, a loss um which was unfortunate for us but at the same time, like we had that fuel in us. Um, you know, we were all just really bad about the game. Um, but it was a, a very quick turnaround. It was like an AAU game back in high school where you just, you have to, you got to turn around and you got to go play again. 
Um, and so we didn't have much time to just dwell on it. Um, we were very blessed to have the opportunity to play the next day. And um, we didn't have that much time to prepare. So coach literally said, we're going to do as much as we can in 24 hours. And then we're just going to roll the ball out. And I need you guys to compete for 40 minutes. Um, and so that's all we were thinking about was just playing hard and playing with heart for, for 40 minutes. Yeah, the AAU analogy is a very good analogy that uh, people that uh, everybody should, that plays ball should definitely understand. Yeah. Where so you guys are fifteen and four, you're nineteen games into the season. Where do you think this team is right now, and where is the needed improvement? Yeah, we, I would say the area of improvement for us um, is just gaining that maturity level that consistent energy every single day and just try not to get too high or too low. Um, you know, before the conference started, we had a couple games where uh, it, it was it was pretty easy for us to be able to, to just get through without being super locked in for practice or um, being super locked in with our habits and things. But I think for us to maintain a championship team, um, which I think that we can be, uh, we have the talent for it. We have everything that we need on this team. Um, I think we just have to maintain that like championship mindset no matter who we play. This has been such a season of, of ups and downs. Like I said, Saturday, you and Hannah have uh, insane games on the road. And then, of course, we hear the news that Olivia Miles is not coming back this season. She's still recovering from the knee injury. So now that you know that, I mean, I mean maybe the team has known longer than you know we've known. But how do you prepare for like this final tough stretch of the season going into the conference championship and then the NCAA tournament with what you have and like, like Mike said, like, how do you prepare for that with a key piece? Yeah, missing? of course. I mean, you know, it's, it's been so tough to play without Liv, knowing what she brings to this team and the just generational talent that she is um, to not have her on the court is really hard for, especially me, Sony, um, Kylie, who know what it's like to play with her. But at the same time, she, has been our biggest asset during practice, who works with us, who um, is competing with us, who's who's chirping to us, you know, just making the competitiveness um, at the highest level possible. And we have our practice guys, but Liv has really, really brought it um, every single day. And so it makes us better. And her mindset where she's at, um, where she's she's just trying to get better to get back on the court, that's exactly... Uh, the mindset that we needed. So she's just as big of a part um, in this role that she's in right now for herself that she is for the team. So, Manny, I'm wondering overall, women's sports has had such a, 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 a I mean, climb. It, it's it's as popular as it's ever been right now. And certainly in women's college basketball with the LSU run last year, they've lost back-to-back games, by the way, now, so tough. Um, and, you know, what Caitlin Clark is doing and others. But still, is is your guys' thought process, this is phenomenal, it's a great wave to ride, or is the thought about damn time? There's a fine line between both. I think there's one level that's – I'm so grateful to be in this spot right now, like within this legacy, you know, playing um, the same time Caitlin Clark is seeing the impact that she's brought to the game um, along with the impact that we all have brought and that my coach has brought um, and just everything that aligns with that. But then also that part that that's like, 
yeah, about time, you know, like we've been working for, you know, as long as I can remember for a legacy like this and for um, the attention that women's basketball deserves. And so, yeah, I think, and especially with like the NIL thing, I'm so, so grateful to be in this spot right now. But then I also think about my sister and then the people who before us who it wouldn't be possible without them. So, um, so yeah, there's definitely a fine line and I find myself weighing on each side quite a bit, but, but, but yeah. All right. Your next road game is in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. Do you know where you're going to get your pregame coffee yet? Actually, well, my aunt and uncle are from Atlanta, so I'm so excited to see them. And hopefully I can find some time to see them, find a place somewhere. But I haven't looked, but I I remember last year, a couple years ago, we went and there was there was a lot by the hotel. So I'm going to have to revisit that and see. Atlanta's a good coffee stop. Yes, yeah. For sure. <laughs> now, did, did I hear correctly earlier? You you drip your own coffee because I I still use a Keurig. I I wish I did drip, but you you drip yours. Yeah. So I I bought this. It's called a Chemex, and it's like an hourglass type of glass thing. Um. But yeah, I just put the filter in, and then I pour my my uh hot water over the top. It's perfect that would confuse mike too much <laughs> come on jess we're not gonna confuse me i'm not that that old i mean come on i didn't live in a cave i'm gonna i know i am gonna now try this because i do like i do like drip coffee so i'm gonna give that a go you should it's cheap and it's honestly it's the best coffee every single morning so i highly recommend it you can get it anywhere there we go she could do an nil deal (laughs) (laughs) that's a good idea (laughs) thank you so much maddie having the best season of your career so far it's been so fun to watch you play um and thank you for joining us excited to see where where the season goes thank you guys so much for having me i had a blast thanks maddie see you thanks all right jess boy maddie was great and and i and i learned something from a college student about coffee a different way for coffee so (laughs) I just got so used to the Keurig that, you know, I, I'm going to try the, the way she makes her coffee or what she uses. I love her going for the NIL deal. Oh, me, yeah. We got to get her a Chemex NIL yeah, deal. Yeah, that is very, very cool. All right. So that was fun to talk to her. Always great to beat UConn uh, in women's college basketball. Our next stop, Jess, is Vegas. And for everybody out there who, who uh, listens to our show, watches our show, uh, there are a couple of time changes for some different shows, including ours. We will be on uh, 11 to 12 uh, on Wednesday the 7th. That's when we will be mm-hmm. on DraftKings Network and all the different ways you can consume us. So a little bit of a time change there. So, Jess, you're ready to go? I mean, are you going to gamble out there? Are we going to gamble or are you, you not a gambler? Oh, yeah. Oh no, we're uh, me and you. We're gonna go. We're gonna go play cards. I think, Mike. Cards are crap. Go, so, got to decide. If you teach me how to play craps, I'll play. That's the thing. I don't know. So, I think what we need to do is, in an afternoon earlier in the week before it gets crazy. I've heard this uh-huh. is the best way to learn. In the afternoon, when it's not crowded, the people that work the tables are usually very, very friendly and helpful. The so, yeah, yeah right? if there's just a couple of us there. We can play a little slower and we can kind of learn some of the nuances of the game. I think we have to try that. You, me, Mike, Brandon, Monday, let's say mm, four o'clock. Meet you there. See, that's just like a, a guy would never set a time because we're not that good. You <laughs> immediately go to a day and put it in my day and a time calendar. to where I'm going to be like, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing at that time. <laughs> <laughs>